0: The Eyes to the Left.
1: Hello, and welcome to Eyes to the Left, the Mirror's political podcast. My name is Jason Beatty, and I'm joined today by Francis O'Grady, the General Secretary of the TUC, and my colleague Mark Ellis, the Mirror's Industrial Correspondent. And we're recording this in Congress House in the centre of London. And the reason we're here is. Of course, Francis is going to talk to me and Mark about this Saturday's rally, which is what, Francis? What's happening on Saturday? Well,
2: we're going to have a great big banner saying a new deal for working people. We're going to be marching, thousands and thousands of us, uh, through London, assembling at the embankment at 11 o'clock on Saturday and then marching through to Hyde Park. And what we're saying really is that isn't it time... That we had a new deal for workers because people have put up with living standards falling, pensions being attacked, young people stuck on zero hours contracts, uh, minimum wage too low. Isn't it time that everybody had a decent pay rise and a decent job and that working people were listened to?
1: And so... If you want to join in, it's still not too late. You can get kind of coaches. There are still vacancies. There are still, there are still <laughs> coaches being put on. Is that right? Absolutely. Check TV... out
2: the TUC website. You'll find transport uh, that will take you there. We're a friendly crowd. It's going to be everybody welcome. Kids, families, everybody's welcome. And it is our chance to make our voice heard.
1: And who, who's speaking in this?
2: Well, we have a very special guest speaker in uh, the leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn. But just as importantly for me, we're also going to be hearing from muck strikers, young workers at the McDonald's, uh, fighting for a living wage, uh, public service workers, firefighters who uh, worked at Grenfell. You know, we're going to have a whole variety of union leaders and people at the sharp end who are fighting the good fight, and again, their voice should be heard.
1: And who's who's this aimed at? Is it aimed at, at kind of greedy bosses? Is it aimed at? government ministers? Who who, who do you want to listen to this message?
2: Well, it would be nice if the government would listen, wouldn't it? Because, you know, I mean, I heard Theresa May talking about being on the side of working people. I heard her talking about tackling burning injustices. But the truth is, I think the government's been uh, piling the petrol on those fires rather than tackling the injustices that they should be. I mean, people have been Facing cuts to their public services, the NHS, you know, struggled through the winter, Uh, hardworking, dedicated staff who are having to fight to get a decent pay rise, and I hope they'll get one. Uh, But not just the NHS, this is public services across the board. And you know, it's all very well to talk the talk, but I'd like to see the government walking the walk. And if it's going to do that, then maybe instead of looking after the big bosses and the banks, they need to be paying a bit more attention to ordinary working families in this country.
1: But uh, We're going to come and talk about public sector pay in a minute. I know it's something Mark wants to to talk about. But just in terms of a a rally, it's not just about public sector workers, though, is it? It's it's about kind of a condition of work... across the board isn't it particularly you know these people in the gig economy people working on zero hours contracts people in kind of you know particularly in retail and and those sort of of areas yeah
2: it's it's about working people in all walks of life and the private sector as much as the public sector you know we've got a lot of manufacturing workers who are really worried about the future um people in the car industry seeing job cuts uh people from Bombardier who fought a big campaign uh, to keep work there. But yes, it is also about our young people. I mean, many of us have our own grown-up children, and we know that things are very different how they were when we started work. And an awful lot of young people are stuck in this revolving door of low-pay, low-skilled, insecure work, uh, agency and zero-hour contracts. And we know that can't be right uh, you know they are talented they should have the right to aspire to get themselves on the housing ladder uh, to get themselves a career not just a job and very often they're saddled with students debt too. Uh, so I think it's right that we should prioritize and say to young people join us because the only way in the end that you're going to get a better deal is by joining up to a union sticking together and fighting for what you're due.
1: So, how do you, when you kind of hear, kind of you know Theresa May, let's say, at Prime Minister's questions, and she'll kind of rattle off these statistics about, you know, we've got record number of people in employment, mm-hmm. you know, the economy is doing really well, and it, what what do you say to that? I mean, is that kind of is she just well, look, naive, course, or is she kind of complacent, or? <laughs> I
2: I think uh, I don't think she's caught up with the fact that it's no longer good enough uh, to tell people to be grateful for a job. I think people rightly want more than just a job. They want a good job, you know, the kind of job that you can build a life on and bring a family up on. Um, So I think the conversations change. Of course, everybody wants to see more people in work and any increase in employment is good. But we've got to ask, what kind of work are people getting? And in some ways, the real problem in Britain now maybe is less about just unemployment, although that's bad enough if if you find it hard to to get work. But it's about this this new thing called underemployment. You know, when people get a contract, they might get a few hours, uh, they might get a couple of shifts, but they don't know where the next one is coming from. I mean, you know... How do you plan your money? Uh, how do you plan your childcare? How do you plan your life if you don't know when you're These going to be working?
1: These also people would like to do more hours if they could, but they're exactly. not necessarily available. Exactly,
2: and of. there are millions of them. Um you know, we know there are millions of people who are now stuck in this kind of zero hours, uh, full self-employment and agency work culture. And the problem is that, you know, again, the government will say, oh, well, that's a stepping stone to permanent work. Well, I'm afraid the evidence is quite the opposite. The evidence is you're stuck in this revolving door and it is hard to get out.
1: One of the things I noticed, I was look at the website, head of a new deal for working people and you any point out that kind of one in seven people below the bedline are in public sector jobs.
2: It's yeah. kind of like a yeah. staggering... And health. of course, the majority of poor children in this country now have at least one parent in work. So the face of poverty is now about working poverty as much as um, unemployment. And that is a real shift, you know, and everybody should be worried about that. And more to the point, politicians should be doing something about it.
0: Which brings us on, Francis, I think it's um, a timely point to bring in public sector pay there, because I've just done the round of the education union conferences, um, and the message they've been getting as well, the health service, the government's shown some movement on the health service mm. and police pay, um, whereas there's, there's nothing for anybody else, and the t- uh, teachers unions and the head teachers who we went to last weekend in Liverpool were talking of a huge problem in teacher re- um, retention and recruitment, What? What's your view on
2: that? You're seeing this across um, public services. And look, nobody would take anything away from people who, uh, public servants who wear a uniform to work. I think, you know, a lot of us see the firefighters at Grenfell as heroes, uh, nurses and doctors doing amazing, dedicated work. But whenever I go around hospitals and schools and colleges, the first thing that people will tell you is that we work as a team. The first thing a firefighter will say is, I could not do my job uh, without the people in the control room helping me. Um, The same is true of uh, nurses who know that health assistants and the porters and the cleaners, you know, it's a family. And they are the first ones to argue the case that they don't want to see the government cherry picking. They don't want you know, a little bit more given to this group and nothing given to another group. They believe that public service workers have put up with seven long years of pay freezes and real pay cuts. And it's about time that everybody got a decent real pay rise that was fully funded because nobody wants to see money taken out of hospital wards or away from school books. They want it fully funded. And I'll tell you something else. I think penny is dropping i think people realize that you know this government's austerity policy has failed Um, it's sucked the life out of local economies and i'm afraid it's plain common sense that if people have money in their pockets through decent wages they tend to spend it locally, in local shops and businesses, and that's good for the economy. And I don't understand why the government doesn't get it, because austerity has clearly failed.
0: We, we know from official figures that um, most people in the public sector are, what, some 15% worse off than they were yeah. in 2010. And yet I'm, I'm hearing from union contacts on, on a, almost a daily basis of members who are, who are providing vital public services and relying on food banks.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a disgrace, frankly. And, uh, you know, it's about time that the government fessed up and uh, coughed up. And after all, this is our money. And we know that taxpayers believe it's the right thing to do. So uh, politicians shouldn't be standing in the way of that. And we should make sure that public servants get the pay rise that they have earned, you know, this isn't charity, they've earned that money. They've been patient long enough, some would say too long. Um, So it's about time they got that real pay increase.
0: Can can you see what's the next stage in in the campaign to to get a a better pay rise?
2: I think, um, you know, and all credit to union negotiators across the board uh, because they've been working really hard and working together really hard. Um, you know and I think we'll begin to see those offers coming through in the NHS and elsewhere Uh, and obviously ultimately it's the members who decide uh, unions are democratic organisations and so it's only right and proper uh, that members will decide whether or not it's a good enough deal but what I would say to the government is this don't expect anybody to be grateful Mm. they've earned it. Do
0: you get the sense that a lot of workers are at breaking points now after so long. Something you from you see
2: it. You know, I mean, people are on modest incomes. Every penny counts. Uh, you know, it's not like the bills have been frozen. It's not like you've only been paying the same amount for your shopping or for your electricity bill or for childcare or transport. All of those prices have been rising. Um, and people can't see light at the end of the tunnel you know i think that's that's the problem i think um you know a lot of people are not optimistic about their own future let alone their children's future um but i think unions have uh you know we the pay cap is bust that's the truth the pay cap has been bust Uh, but that's not good enough it's the real pay increase across the board fully funded that's what people want to see Can I
1: just ask a question? It's the 150th anniversary of the trade unions this year. And and, and one of the things that kind of struck me is that that the people who are now most in need of unions, which is the people we've been talking about, Mm. the the people in the gig economy, the people, the agency workers, those on zero-hours contracts, are often the people who aren't actually members members of unions. And I'm just wondering how you get round that, because you're representing people yeah who are both most in need of representation but are least likely to have joined the union
2: yeah well you know i i 'm not complacent at all about the future of the trade union movement we We are celebrating our one hundred and fiftieth birthday, uh, but I want to focus on the next one hundred and fifty years and how we make sure that we bring a whole new generation of young people into our ranks because We know that trade union membership is your best protection, your best chance of getting not just fair pay, but for young women, equal pay um, and decent treatment at work. But it is very tough organising when you've got people on this uh, revolving door of uh, uh, low-paid, zero-hours jobs. And I think we have to think a bit more imaginatively. So what we've been doing is, behind the scenes, quietly, we've been working with hundreds and hundreds of young people in the private services economy um you know people working in warehouses or doing driving jobs or um hospitality and shop workers and we've been asking them what they would want from a union what do they want what You know, what do they feel about work? What do they like about their job? What do they hate about their job? What would they like to change? And how do they believe a union could help them? And how would it be organised in a way that works for them? Um, And, you know, what's very clear to us is uh, we've learned a lot. They've been sending us their video diaries, their WhatsApp uh, groups, all of that, um, is that uh, too often young people have really low expectations of how they should be treated. It's almost normal, you know, that um, you might be pulled in to work for free for half an hour before your shift starts. That's considered normal. You know, to most of us, that's that's unpaid labour. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's against the law. You're supposed to get at least the national minimum wage. Um, they're they sometimes quite frightened. And obviously, they're quite vulnerable. Um but they do live and work through their smartphones um and uh too often unions are not as easily accessible as uh, you know netflix and other other um services online um so we've got to think afresh and we will be launching on our birthday uh, a new model of digital trade unionism aimed at those young people who need it most we you know, we need people's help to spread the word, because as I said, in the end, we know it's only by sticking together that those young people will have a chance of improving their conditions of work.
1: So this would be like you could get membership through an app really quickly, and it could be feed the subs could be dependent on how many hours you work, things like that. Or is that what you're exploring? We,
2: it's exactly what we're exploring. But critically, it's a, we've been co-creating it, if you like, with these young people. So it's about what they want. And some of the things you forget as you get older, you know like when you first go into a job and you haven't got a clue really about lots of things and you you haven't necessarily got that guardian angel putting their arm around your shoulder and telling you when you're doing right when you're doing wrong, you really do want to get on you want to progress you want to you know build your nest be independent um have a good Friday night all of that um. But you haven't necessarily got somebody in the same way maybe you did in the old days, looking out for you um, and giving you that practical guidance and advice about how to get on at work. Um, So we'll be uh, piloting uh, some of that work. Uh, I think it's going to be fantastic. Actually, I'm really excited about it because, you know, and if we don't try we'll never know whether we can succeed. But I think I think the appetite is out there. I just think we have to be a bit braver and bolder. And, you know, I'm inspired. By the way, The Mirror has done a brilliant job in supporting, for example, the Strikers. Uh, a lot of them teenagers, and they've had the guts uh, to make their voice heard against one of the most powerful multinational corporations in the world. They've stood up for themselves. I think we'll see lots more young people doing the same.
1: And I hesitate to ask this question because you're the only woman in room full of men. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's one of the issues as well about how unions are perceived. And because you mentioned women earlier, and they're more likely to be in low-paid jobs, they're more likely to be in part-time jobs. And yeah those are the people you, you you need to be there for, but do they see unions as kind of still too male-dominated, slightly too old-fashioned? Is that a problem?
2: Well, the mirror can help us, though. Straight back at me. It is, it is, it is, <laughs> it is partly about who newspapers to, choose to talk to, because we have got many more women general secretaries leading teaching unions, yeah. the journalists' union, you know, finance unions, equity. I mean, lots and lots of women leaders, but not enough. I mean, in my view... I just think, as in life, you know, it should be 50 that's, 50. That's all I ask. I think that's reasonable. <laughs> um, but it's also important for us because, uh, you know, we did the TUC and the trade union movement did this huge, big piece of work about sexual harassment and what was happening and how young women in particular were having a miserable time at work because of slime balls, basically not treating them with respect. And too often, um, not reporting it because they didn't have the confidence they'd be believed, and walking off the job because that was the only choice they felt they had. Now, if you know, unions should be there for women. It's about working lives and how we make them better. But if we if we don't have enough women in our ranks, then how are we going to know that that's a big priority for half the workforce?
1: So you're saying you know, at some point, one of the big unions, whether it's Unite or Unison <laughs> or DMB or us or needs to have a Women General Secretary?
2: The more women, the merrier. Now, I, of course, believe, as I say, in 50-50, you know, um, we have some incredibly talented, uh, fantastic leaders for both men and women, and a lot of men who are absolutely committed to equal rights for women too, and that's important. Um, but, yeah, I would like to see fifty-fifty representation in trade unions and well across the board really but let's you know it'd be good to see whether we get um, a bit of change at the top of business as well will not it in the boardroom would help as well
1: and and they are slightly improving the bigger companies aren't they it's, it's actually a, it's the it's the 3100 has actually made progress it's the 32 fund 250 which is struggling on this yeah
2: well. there's a bit of an irony here's, yeah. a, here's another of Theresa may's uh, policies that sort of um uh, uh, you know, dive bombed in the end, didn't it? Which was about workers on board because it seems that, um, you know, business is very keen to have more women in the boardroom as long as they're not women workers um, who are still locked out along with men workers. But, you know, at one point Theresa May said it would be a really good idea to have workers on the board. We welcome that proposal. It's common sense, again, to have uh, the expertise of the workforce in the boardroom. Um, taking decisions about the future of the company for the long term best interests of the company including the workforce but um, it came to naught.
1: seem to remember that
2: Yeah, what a shame yeah.
1: I'm going to ask about <laughs> Brexit unless Mark's got something go. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can't avoid it because I'm slightly uh, <laughs> nerdy about the whole thing
2: oh. how how
1: Worried are you that the government will backslide on its pledge to protect workers' rights?
2: We're worried because there's a track record. Uh, You know, we're not making it up. Uh, We've seen Conservative government after Conservative government worsen, dilute and sometimes scrap workers' rights. Um, And we know that there are members of the Cabinet uh, who were briefing the Sunday newspapers that. their first priority was to get rid of the Working Time Directive. And, you know, as many people know, that Working Time Directive is something that unions across Europe fought for um, to limit long working hours, to make sure that workers had the right to paid holidays, all workers, including part-timers, and um, to put in place protections for night shift workers. So those sorts of rights are really, really important. And, of course, the worry is that at the first opportunity, uh, once we come out of the European Union, that uh, people like Boris and Jacob Rees-Mogg and Michael Gove are just itching to scrap those rights. Now, uh, you know, I... There are lots of other worries as well, um, certainly concerned about what kind of Brexit we get, because if we get a hard one, what people call a hard one, come out of the customs union, come out of the single market, um, cross your fingers and hope we get a deal with President Trump, uh, a lot of us are very worried about what that means for our steel industry, for our car industry, for manufacturing in particular, um, and what that means for opportunities for our young people in the future too so it's it's obviously a worrying time and I kind of think this this if you like goes right across the spectrum because I think which whichever way people voted in that referendum nobody wants to end up poorer nobody wants to lose their job and nobody voted to get rid of their rights at work.
1: Now you've worked quite closely and Unusually with the CBI on trying to deliver a softer Brexit, are you worried that you know if they get what they demand, then they kind of they will kind of not necessarily say down the river, but kind of you know the alliance may not kind of help you in terms of getting a decent deal for workers' rights? Or,
2: I mean, the job of the CBI is to represent the interests of business. Uh, the job I've got is to represent the interests of working people and our unions. Um, Now, do I think that the CBI would lobby hard to get rid of workers' rights? No, I don't. Do I think there are some business leaders who, if it was offered on a plate, (laughs) wouldn't refuse it? Um, Yes, I worry about that. So I think where um, we have had common ground is on two issues, that whether it's about expats in the EU or migrant workers here Uh, we both argued that you know people shouldn't be treated as bargaining chips uh, that people needed certainty for their future and in fact as it turns out we also need desperately need more nurses uh, for the NHS Uh, but also on the issue of Ireland uh, because I think this goes beyond party politics or uh, divisions between you know, different groups. This is about uh, decades of work that went in and trade unions were part of civic society working for peace and a Good Friday agreement and nobody wants to see a return to a hard border that might jeopardise that in any way.
1: And, you know, you're an experienced negotiator. How do you think this is going to work out? You know, will they go for some sort of a kind of compromise on the customs union or not? What's your...
2: Well, first of all, I think it would be helpful if the government rediscovered the art of negotiation, actually not just in terms of uh, its discussions with uh, the European Commission and Monsieur Barnier, but um, to sort out the divisions in the cabinet and critically to try and bring the country back together again. Uh, Because, you know, in the end, This is no different to the sorts of negotiations (laughs) that unions do, or indeed that most of us have to do in real life, which is, yeah, you have to work out what's really important to you and what's really important to the other person. And you have to find out, find a compromise. You have to find a way through that brings people back together. At the moment, it feels like, you know, the cabinet's collectively involved in a loveless marriage, uh, where they're you know not prepared to try and find any scope for compromise amongst themselves never mind in the country and that that's not good for us it creates huge uncertainty we know it's scaring away investment and that will matter in terms of you know many of our manufacturing plants uh, for the future but also you know in terms of jobs this is serious stuff and i'm afraid i think the jobs of the people we represent, are far more important than that of Liam Fox.
1: Thank you very much for joining us, Francis. Uh, Last plug for the rally on Saturday, May the 12th, a new deal for working people assembling on the embankment at 11am, is that right?
2: That's right. It's going to be a fantastic day with thousands and thousands of people all over the country coming together. Uh, There'll be a bit of singing. Uh, a lot of fun, and some fantastic speakers, including, of course, Jeremy Corbyn.
1: Excellent. Uh, You've been listening to Eyes to the Left. You can go to our website, which is mirror.co.uk forward slash eyes. That's A-Y-E-S, where you can subscribe and leave comments. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter as at JBTMirror. Mark's on Twitter as at Mark Ellis 06. Mark, at Mark 6 And Francis is...
2: At Francis O'Grady.
1: With no apostrophe